welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have the tender brutalist and professional dom Empress Wu join us for a very philosophical and vulnerable conversation about liberation through kink. Together, we talk about why bad bitches date emotionally immature people, the sublime nature of sadism, and the need to examine your own internalization of social norms. Y'all, this is an episode you do not want to miss. I love getting giddy about having liberated souls on this podcast that can just bounce off such dynamic ideas from philosophy to our own experience and just honest vulnerability about how messy it is to be a human sometimes. So I really loved having Empress Wu on the show, and I think all of y'all are really going to love her too. So tune in. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, cool. It's great to meet you. And Lovely to meet you. Yeah, have you on the show. Uh, how are you feeling about recording a podcast today? I'm feeling good. Yeah. I'm really excited. I generally, like, love podcasts because I feel like they're, like, they're nice and, like, especially, like, ones that are a little bit more conversational like these. It's, like, really easy to get into them and, like, you know, shoot the shit. And, yeah, it's nice. And it's also nice not feeling like I have to, like, perform visually. Which, oh, yeah. Um, can be really lovely and like really gratifying in certain ways and also is like sometimes I'm like I just want to not have to put on full beat and yeah fuck up my face and do the whole thing so I like podcasts because there's like that degree of anonymity yeah just sit back and be yourself is there anything specifically on your heart that you want to talk about today I have been listening to like some of the episodes and I'm actually like very curious about like what would you consider like the theme of this podcast to be I consider it conscious objectors to the status quo. And that's like the cheesy mm-hmm. line, right? But yeah. I think that in society, we have a lot of expectations for who we should be, whether that be from your gender, race, you know, religious background, all these different things. Um, and I think that anyone who steps outside of those expectations is strong and beautiful in their own way. Yeah. Yeah. And so hopefully on the show, I just want people who are doing things that are not typical mainstream culture that are somehow leaning into their authentic self. And in that way, I think the show is just like a beautiful reflection of the diversity of the human experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is like really, really lovely and like, like a really crucial thing to cover. And that, and that, that all of that I think can like manifest in like so many different ways. You know what I mean? Like, 
I did see like a lot of like sex workers on your podcast, which I'm like, that's fucking awesome and fucking rad just because like. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's yeah. because uh, for me specifically, I'm studying sex and non-monogamy, specifically relationship anarchy for my dissertation. So mm. and as a queer person in this space um, and interested in working with sex workers as a future psychologist, then mm. yeah, this is all up my alley. So and specifically, everyone who comes on the show gets to pick who I go to next. So you'll that's awesome. Yeah, so you'll get to pick. So like you get to keep the direction line going because you come from Lola and she comes from another sex worker, right? So like I yeah. think inherently I will continue to have this line of like sex workers depending on who you pick, you know? Totally. Yeah. I'm curious about like what it is that you're discovering in your dissertation about like um, non-monogamy and relationship anarchy, <laughs> and how is it that like if you're okay with sharing this, like how is it that you identify whether that's like solo poly relationship anarchist whatever um so yeah what am i learning i mean that's a big question what do you want to know how much do you know how do i identify uh so i identify as a queer cis woman and i've been practicing polyamory although i would say my first poly partner the uh i don't know if i can say narcissist but the person i was talking about earlier gave me a really shitty experience so i think that i'm still learning Mm. a lot of what it means to actually live in this space and be practicing that but Mm. for the most part i personally practice solo polyamory and try to keep consistent with the concepts of relationship anarchy of just not overvaluating my sexual and romantic relationships over my platonic relationships Mm, yeah mm, I think that that is like really really crucial yeah I mean what I'm I'm learning that society you know inherently marriage used to be this thing that was a function of necessity because we lived on farms and because we needed someone to actually be with us to be able to like keep us alive to survive winters and other harsh conditions but that eventually changed a little bit more in the 1850s to become something about Mm. love and romance because as we established ourselves as humans we were able to actually have some of those needs met with mass farming and then beyond that to more in the 60s and 70s marriage and relationships have now hit this point where people are hoping to find their authenticity in their relationships with their partner and that Mm -hmm. has subsequently Mm -hmm. created a high demand but a high reward so there's a lot of divorces but then the people who are thriving in good marriages typically have a great setup where they feel like they have the freedom to be our authentic selves Mm. and so what does all that mean i don't know i mean i'm still trying to figure it out i totally you know what i mean i think in my deep understanding of the world i feel like we're a communal creatures and like are we meant to be non-monogamous maybe you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah i don't think i can make that argument i never could but like if i like imagine our highest level of empathetic selves of able to like be fluid and dynamic with all these different things Mm -hmm. like our sexuality our gender our relationships i think that's like peak understanding of Mm -hmm. the human self totally so i have like three different thoughts yeah go for it the first is like what I'm curious about, like, what is your personal, like, ideal relationship structure? Mm. Um, someone asked me this recently, actually, on a date. First, I want to say, I don't know. I think that's the best way to describe it because inherently, I can't really know what each dynamic that I'm going to encounter with a future person is going to put me into, right? Like, say I get a great mm-hmm. first partner and I, I have no idea how that's going to fit with me and how that would lead me to other things. And so maybe totally. I wouldn't be totally satisfied with two really, really deep people. Maybe it could – and, like, until I have those people start to play into my life, I have no idea what that looks like. So I think, like, totally. in terms of structure of what I want, something that is flexible and adaptive. I I want to be a person who has the grounding 
understanding of love and my inherent value and not a scarcity. So like when my partner goes out to other people, I think it's inherently beautiful to know that I have worth because I'm uniquely different and I bring something that no one else can bring because I am me. And so I trust that they will come back for that. And if they don't, that they're doing it because they need something else in the world that's going to bring them more fulfillment and that's okay because that's they're their own person. Absolutely. And how does that actually look? I think, I don't know, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah, 100%. Like, how is it that we're supposed to, like, deal with that and be with that, I think, are, like, really, really crucial questions. Yeah, because we're all individual people. We all have our individual desires. I get so freaked out by this concept of, like, oh, we're the same person. We become so enmeshed that we're just, like, can't even disentangle, like, who we are from the other person. And I think in that you oh get, my God. yeah, resentment and Very all these other things. Yeah. yeah. And it's, like, so how do we keep this level of ne- lack of enmeshment that also recognizes the freedom of our partners? Yeah. I think it's a lot of communication. I think it takes a lot of trust and you have to have a relationship where each other is trusting that they are there for each other and there is no doubt in your inherent sense of worthiness. Absolutely. Because, yeah, that's... So, I don't know. Maybe I'll tell you in a few years. Like when <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we'll check back in. I'll have a part two to this episode. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, this is... um Totally. It's been a wild ride. You'll learn that um, there's people who say they want to do polyamory, but they don't mean that in any way at all. They just... I definitely know that to be true. Yeah. Yeah. They just want to be able to have, like, all freedom and not be emotionally responsible. And I think instead, polyamory takes a lot of communication, a lot of talks about vulnerability and what you need. Completely. I definitely agree. Um, The second thing that I wanted to add was, like... Mm -hmm. I, w- I wanted to know if you're familiar with Esther Perel. Yes, I have. I've heard her podcast, um, Where Should We Begin? Podcast. It's amazing. Yeah. I've read Mating in Captivity. Is that what you're going to reference? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like she makes like a pretty good – or I think that she makes like a pretty solid point in yep. Mating in Captivity about like why um, – or about like the expectation of like a lot of like modern marriages for one person to like fulfill all the different like mm-hmm. you know for one person to just like fulfill all the different needs of their partner and how like unrealistic that is and i do think that that is like a really really crucial like thing to be acknowledged yeah. which makes sense yeah. i think yeah her argument is that like your partner is separate from you because if you yeah get to enclose that you understand them fully and think that you know them fully which inherently no one can actually know another person do i even know myself like wait like how could we even think to know another person um but we get into that space where like repeated cycles and we just think we can know that person and predict their behavior which then we lose the inherent like sexual drive that's linked to that yeah but yeah so she doesn't really make a push for a monogamy or non-monogamy but i think what's interesting about this is that like regardless of which way you go it still does require that you have deep intimate personal relationships with other people to fulfill other needs yeah and i think that's something that she like articulates that i think is really like her her specific like acknowledgement of like desire as like being like as desire like originating in the other i think was like a huge like shift in like my perspective of relationships for myself and like how I um navigate and engage with my own sexual desire um and like wanting that feeling like it's like a very very interesting Mm. push-pull feeling between like maybe she isn't even the one who says this but like there's this like very very interesting push-pull feeling between like knowing that like your desire is like other but then also like wanting to assimilate that to like gain like a sense of stability and like yeah that things that she writes in like that book like really remind me a lot of the 
the work of like Louise Bourgeois, who does like a lot of like paintings and sculptures around like couples and like the way that couples become like enmeshed with each other. Mm. And I think that that's like really. Oh, actually, do you know? Do you know who it is that um, may have actually like said that? If I don't know if it was like Estepril, it might have actually just been like. Do you know Deleuze, like Deleuze and Qatari? Mm-mm. They, they're like these like old, like 1980s, like French semiotician philosophers. Uh-huh. And I think that they talk about like, yeah, they talk about like desire as like mm. something that like stems from like being an other or. Of course. It's either them or Lacan or something. But um, it inherently has to because if you're something that you want, you recognize that you don't have it. And in not yeah. having it, you create an othering. Yeah. That, like, there is, like, a foreign entity that happens there, which I also think is, like, really, really interesting when you talk about, like, things like racial fetishization Mm. Um, and, like, that, yeah. I feel so clearly caffeinated right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Basically, there's this, like, one essay by Mel Chen that I'm, like, really, really obsessed with. It's called Toxic Animacies. Um, It's this essay that I read when I was in grad school um, that I like, read one time and, like, became, like, fucking obsessed with. Mm. And Mel is this, like, amazing... I think that they're, like, a Chinese-American genderqueer philosopher. Hell yeah. Like, researcher at UCLA, like, academic, very hot. Um, And they are also... They write about, like, queer studies, Asian diasporic studies, and, like, crip studies. So, like, disability studies. And they write this one essay called Toxic Animacies that is amazing. Um, I read it like a couple of months, like six months, maybe before the pandemic happened. And then the pandemic happened and I was just like, the universe gave this essay to me. (laughs) Um, they start with this like single phenomena of like, there was a period of time where Thomas, the tank engine trains were being like recalled Uh because there was lead paint in them. Okay. And like they were being manufactured in China and there was a lot, a lot of like, suburban uproar about like this lead paint being manufactured in china and a lot of like racist vitriol being like leveled against like there should not be lead paint in children's toys right but melchin basically posits that like there were a lot of people who assigned like a certain amount of like liveness to this lead paint and a certain amount of like basically like an animated motive to like the lead itself hmm assigning like a uh like a racial entity of like oh this lead paint was manufactured in china so like it's a chinese like it's a chinese like motivation and like you know typically thomas the tank engine trains are like owned by little boys like toddler boys so like mel chen talks about how like there's like this like kind of like homosexual tie or this like homosexual like scare Mm. by these like nuclear white suburban families against like against their like little white boy children like licking like licking this like lead paint right yeah they're you know there's like a gay scare around it which is like really really interesting and i think like also really really crucial because like in the context of like everything that happened in the past year and the racialization of like coronavirus occurring Mm. that was something that felt really really relevant why did i bring this up but I, <laughs> I think that I bring this up because I, I am thinking about just, like, in, in us talking about, like, oh, the status quo and, mm-hmm. like, people who, like, move against the status quo. Yeah. I think that there is, like, a like an undercurrent in the status quo that, like, is deeply rooted in, like, both, like, a deep desire and, like, a deep fear of the other. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I think that this is something that, like, I've really, like, come to confront a lot when it comes to, like, in the wake of the Atlanta shootings, I think, like, I've 
been doing like a lot of research on like the way that like Asian women specifically are like codified into law and like the way that their bodies are their bodies and like their motives and their intentions are kind of like framed in the word of law and like so much of it is both like oh like you poor thing like we need to save you Mm. and then also so much of it is like you're here to like fuck us you know Mm -hmm. like you're here to fuck us and spread disease and like (laughs) both of those things are like yeah simultaneously like so deeply like rooted in fear and like saviorism and also like a really really deep desire of the other yeah if you're willing to share i'd love to hear more about your personal experience with both of those yeah (laughs) as you lick the spoon Um, (laughs) (laughs) there's matcha on the spoon and i was just like "Mm." (laughs) um Something that's really funny is like, you know, I'm out here in California with my partner mm-hmm. and um, working. So I'm like primarily based in New York at the moment. And I've like started making trips out to California to see like, oh, what is it like out here? Like who's, what's the deal? What's the clientele? Because just to clarify, I'm a pro-dominatrix. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for all the listeners at home, I am a professional dom. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, like I'm very interested in like what is the clientele like out here mm-hmm. and like what is the landscape? What is like the kink? Yeah. What is like the professional kink world like out here compared to like in New York? I feel like in the past like couple of months that I've been working here, it has been so fascinating. It's mm. so interesting to see like the way that people treat race, like the way that specifically like white clients will treat race. You know what I mean? I've worked in like New York, I've worked in Texas, I've worked in California, and it's really funny because like there are definitely people who are in California who will be more racist to me mm. and think that they're actually paying me a much higher compliment than like people in in Texas who are just like straight up racist to me, you know? Yeah. So like the work that I've done in Texas has been like you know, there just have been people who have, like, called me a chink. And I'm just like, cool. We're on the same page. I totally understand, like, what you're saying. And I don't think that we're going to get along. You know, like, wow. that's, like, clear and fine and easy. And I'm like, great. Like, thank you so much for being, like, very, very open about that. You know? Yeah. And then, like, I'll, like, work in California. And I'll, like, meet clients who will book with me, who will, like, say all, like, the good, like, liberal ideology buzzwords, who will be like, mm, fuck Trump, hate Trump, like, can't believe all the stuff that he's doing, so glad he's out of office, like, yeah, like, oh, you used to work in Texas, but that must have been really bad, like, mm. but that must have been really shitty, and then the next sentence they'll be like, mm, I think that my wife should have been Chinese, and I'm like, girl, like, you don't even know that you are also the racist, Uh, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Like, just because you live in, like, a state, a state that's, like, electorally blue, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're, like, better. No. You know? Or excused, I think. So that's, like, a lot of, like, recent reflections on, like, how that has, like, come up in work recently. I, I also, like, want to acknowledge that, like, there is... There is, like, a choice in, I mean, there's not a choice in, like, being the subject of racism, but I do have, like, the opportunity to choose, like, how it is that I want to deal with that. And, like, Mm -hmm. not that I should have to deal with that, but, like, there is still, like, there is still, like, sometimes, like, a a nice little teaching opportunity there Mm -hmm. if that's something that I'm interested in engaging with. 
Yeah, that was a really long tangent. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I'm I'm holding space for you. This is ultimately with the podcast. This is your space. This is your lived experience. And I want to hear all of it that is coming to you at this moment. Because obviously, I do not have the same experience in this world at all. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something that like, I have been thinking about a lot recently, that I do feel like is semi related to what we were talking about earlier specifically regarding like polyamory and like multiple relationships and how it is that we want to like deal with that and play with that. And so I, I like identify as like a poly person, Cool. you know, like I really enjoy like having a lot of people in my life. Like I really enjoy like being very open to like new experiences and like having multiple loves. And I feel like that's like a space in which I like, that's, that's like a really lovely space for me. And like, I do really, I don't know if I identify as like a relationship anarchist because I do really like the idea of like having a primary partner and like having that as like a space to go back to. But I think that's something that I've like really had to reckon with recently is like what happens when you like, when you realize that like everybody is flawed, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that like, I think that there is like a lot of talk about like, oh yeah, I am poly. And like, I talked to these people about them being poly, but really they just like didn't want to be emotionally responsible. But like, and I, and I don't want to like invalidate that experience for you because it's definitely possible that those people were just like fucking lying to themselves, you know, and we're not clear on what that meant. But I, I do also think like what happens when like somebody really does think that they're poly and they really want to be poly, but like. Yeah. Have just like never gotten the opportunity to like access that for themselves or like don't know what it looks like to like access that like authenticity for themselves. Well, then let me talk about me for a little bit if you're interested, (laughs) because this is something I've been exploring for myself of whether it fits or not. And this has only been within the last year. So I feel like I am that person that you're asking, like, how do you do that? Yeah. Um. I have to bite my tongue a little bit to like, but also I can always cut whatever. I I can never say whatever I want to you and then I get to cut it. So, um, you're the editor. Yeah, I know. Fuck it. You'll fix it in post. You know what I mean? (laughs) Uh, exactly. Um, so in full disclosure of my story, I met a man who, um, basically was very avoidant attachment style, would not, um, be really present in intimacy and then claimed that the reason why they didn't maybe want a relationship was because like they didn't know how they felt and a lot of the concepts of polyamory but never even said it to me and I had to basically pull it out and be like hey do you want to try this and they said Mm. yes to which I was like okay I don't know how I feel about this but I like you so I'm willing to look into the concept and see how I feel on my own sure in doing so I read uh, More Than Two, which is a great book if you haven't read that on polyamory. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading it, I was resonating so deeply with these concepts of like, yeah, my value is inherently uncomparable to anybody else in the world because no one else is me. And so when my partner picks yeah. me, yeah, so you get it. Whole thing feels secure. So yeah. then I bring this up to the partner. I was like, hey, like the book says we should be talking about a lot of this stuff, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, this person that I was with had a whole nother partner that they didn't even tell me about, didn't tell the other person that they got with that they also had a partner, which was me. And so they were just Mm. lying across the board. Yeah. And it's like, that's the kind of person I'm talking about of like – Totally. I like straight up sat with this person just trying to be like, hey, let's talk about this. Let's get all together. Let's like explain this and do all this. And then like they still like run away and like – even despite giving this person all freedom, I told him, I was like, just tell me if you sleep with anybody else so we can know for safety reasons. That's my one rule. Couldn't mm. even keep that. That fucking blows. And I'm so sorry about you that. You have babe. no idea. But, and also pre, like, not on the recording thing, I kind of met up with his two ex-girlfriends. 
on Sunday and we all chatted and all had very similar experiences. Oh my God. Very messy. Yes. So very, very messy. I will have to cut all yeah. of this, but like my first poly partner, I do not think in summary was ready for the dynamics of polyamory and instead was saying that in a way to kind of have their cake and eat it too. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which I definitely, like, I hear all that, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm not even sure if that person was just like, is Polly? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, like honestly, just, like, putting aside, like, all the identity labels, it just sounds like there's, like, they're dealing with a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like, there's just, like, a lot going on over there. There like, is. Like, very curious about, like, what is, what is unfulfilled. You know what I mean? Like, what is, like, the need that is, like, left unmet for them by them? The person um, I'm talking about, my ex? Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, this person doesn't go to therapy, right? And I tried to get them to therapy, especially with someone becoming a, a psychologist. And I was like, hey, like, I will connect you with sex positive people. Like, that is my thing. And like, wouldn't do it. And so it's like, yeah. this is exactly – this is – okay, let's get real, real, right? So like when I was in this relationship and all – dealing with all of this – and some other friendships I had. Like, what do you do when you find out that the people that you love are unperfect? They are broken yeah. in their own way. And when do you totally. draw that line of like, damn, their unhealed self is damaging me in the process? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that, I think that that like is like a really good summary of like the thing that I'm attempting to like ask is like, how do you know? Yeah. How do you know? Or like, how do you like draw that line for yourself? Or, yep. um, yeah, or even, like, the fact that – because I don't think that, like, any – I don't think that healing is, like, an end goal. Do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. think that it's, like, a process. A pro- like, yes. we're never going to, like, be healed. Like, every day we're just, like, all just, like, Sisyphus, like, pushing oh, our little, sure. like, healing boulder up the hill. But, yeah, I think that, like, that is, like, a really, really fantastic question and something that I've absolutely bumped up against mm. so many times in, like, my um, experience of relationships is, like, you know, because I feel like part of, like, being poly is, like – that I've like learned in the past couple of years is like, I start to take on the agreements. Like part of me when I like sign on to being poly is like, I start to like also sign on to the agreements that somebody makes with other people. Yep. And that is something that is like actually more like that. That is something that is actually like not, not just being poly. Like I think right. that if you're like in a monogamous relationship or you're friends with somebody, then you kind of also like, yes, you know, you kind of take in a little bit like the, the agreements that your friends make with other people. Certainly. You know what I mean? Like that becomes like a part of your life and your integrity as well. Even if you're monogamous, you find a great partner and that person might have family ties and responsibilities that are very important to them that you're signing on to. Maybe that's a totally. kid. Maybe that's a parent that needs care. Maybe it's a best friend that they devote a lot of time to. So yeah, any relationship you encounter, monogamous or not, is going to have these expectations and different poles on our partners always. Totally. And also sometimes that's like, maybe that's like a friend that they don't have good boundaries with. yes you know what I mean like you like sign on to like a relationship and maybe it's like they treated their ex like really shittily in the past do you know what I mean it's like that's also something that you're like signing on to which is not to say like oh people can't heal and don't fucking date those people but it is to say like oh this is like a really interesting thing to like start acknowledging for myself and like also like acknowledging like where my own integrity is like not in alignment and where I'm not like being clear with like myself and like with other people in my life. 
Oh, oh, I love when this podcast hits me right in the like my own crap, and I'm like, damn, okay, yeah, we're talking about all of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I'm holding space for you, and I'm like, I love you, babe. Yeah, yeah let's do it. <laughs> we're holding space for each other. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of this is, yeah, when do you draw that line? When do you realize that, especially, I, I don't know about you, but I am very empathetic in terms of my caregiving. And so frequently I will like let go of my own boundaries just to be there for the other person, which I think gets me really trapped into cycles of people who want attention and me giving it to them, thinking that if I love them well enough, they will love me back properly. Yeah, which is, you know, that's also just like, to be blunt, that's also kind of like you putting the burden of like loving you onto another person. Sure. You know, like that like feeling of just like, if I like give enough and I, if I like do enough yeah. for this other person that they're going to like love me and validate me in the way that I need, which I say because like I've been there and done that so many times. And, like, yeah. And like actually realize like, how that doesn't actually serve me. I think I used to be, okay, so there's this thing in like DS, that's mm-hmm. talking about, like being service oriented. That's like a, that's like a DS identity, right? Um, or like a kink identity. Like somebody can be like either service top or service bottom. Yeah. Which means that they're like generally very interested in showing their kinkiness through like an act of service or like being available to provide and to serve other people. And I think that I used to like really identify like that. Like mm. I used to be like very much a service switch, like very service toppy and service, like very much a service bottom until I realized like how, and I don't think that this is true for everybody, but how I was definitely using that as like an excuse to not be authentic about like what it is that I wanted and how much more it like serves other people for me to just like be real about what it is that I wanted as opposed to being like, so much in service and like wanting to almost like save other people and like give and give and give and give to them and not like taking care of myself yes. or like putting my own like or not like maintaining the boundaries that I have with myself first because yeah. that actually has like a really really deep impact on like the way that I'm able to be with other people yeah um yeah and then like I began like a service dynamic with someone in which like I was like the recipient of their service bottoming And that dynamic taught me so much about how I actually don't enjoy service. Like I enjoy like building, I enjoy like building and creating and like being the director of all that stuff. And I enjoy having somebody else like cater to that. And that's like a space that feels really, really good to me. Like being the director of like the desire and having somebody like help me execute that. But yeah, in that dynamic, like, there was definitely like an element sometimes of like that other person giving to me and like providing that kind of service to me because it was easier to do that for me than to face their own shit. You know what I mean? It was easier to like do meal prep for me than to like think for a second about taking care of themselves. Yeah. Um, And that's fucking real. Like sometimes like loving yourself is like this like insurmountable project. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Every day. (laughs) Every fucking day I wake up and I'm like, fuck, I have to ah, love myself again. It's me again, damn it. Fuck, <laughs> I was going to wake up as a cat, like, damn it, no. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah, I mean, th- okay, yeah, so there's so many times, well, one, okay, I'm thinking about this concept of service, and I wonder mm-hmm. how much of that is just ingrained into society as, do you identify as being a woman? Sure, yeah, I identify as being socialized as a I identify, I don't, yeah, I be, I am socialized as a woman. 
Yeah. Then I think a lot of gender expectations include service. Yeah, totally. And like care work. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that's like, I think that you're totally right that like for a long time, like part of the reason why I did a lot of that stuff is because I was just like, it was just also so funny because like I had this relationship when I was like in college where I would do that like all the time and I was like such a bad bitch. You know what I mean? Like I still am. But like when I was like fucking like 19, I was such a fucking crazy bad bitch. I was like hustling. I was like doing like three different jobs and going to school full time and all this stuff. And then like. And then, like, I fucking, like, you know, would text my boyfriend who was, like, at home and stoned. And I would text him, like, baby, have you eaten yet? Do you know what I mean? I'm just like, what the fuck? No, okay. This is such a thing. Being a bad bitch but having a child partner. I honestly frequently I'm like, I don't know if I could be a mom. And it's like, yeah, because I'm frequently taking care of another adult. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, like, are you okay? Are you fine? Is your mental health okay? Because you don't take care of yourself. Like, absolutely. And like that. Yeah, it's just so fun. But I think this is part of the boundary thing is like, you were asking earlier, like, when, how do you decide when it's too much of someone being unhealed? I think it's like, we're all broken, but we all need to be able to carry our own shit. And if you cannot yeah. learn how to carry that and work through it and move through it, then, like, you're going to bring me down because I'm going to try and carry it for you. Yeah, totally. Or, like, I think, like, another version of that and, like, the, the version that I frequently say for myself is, like, I mean, like, part of the part of the reason that that service dynamic ended was because, like, they were not, like, clear on their agreements that mm. they made with themselves. And the agreements that they made with their other partners were not agreements that I agreed to. Or, like, were not agreements that I could even condone. And part of the, the thing for me of, like, ending that dynamic was, like, I realized that I felt so, like, such an urge to, like, fix their problems mm. that, like, I could not be in that dynamic anymore. Because, like, I could not see past, like, wanting to fix their problems. Mm-hmm. And, like... Um, oh God. And that instinct is like still like really, really high. And I think that that instinct is going to like continue to show up in a lot of different places in my life. But yeah, that, that feeling of just like, it's like, yes, like you will be bringing me down, but also just like, I can't be present for you. Do you know what I mean? Like, like when you're, I think like another, I guess like litmus test for that, for that, like I should draw a boundary here or I should like in this dynamic or in this like relationship is like a feeling of like, am I able to like see really, really clearly and like love you in a really, really present way? Or is like the structure of our relationship actually um, incurring like a lot of like personal triggers for me? And like, Mm -hmm. is that like actually like um, a detriment to like me being able to love you clearly? Yeah, I think I'm not saying I'm perfect, right? But like, fuck maybe I just want validation for someone else to see me right now that like the person that I tried to love like I took full psychology mode of just like holding space Mm. doing all of the things almost like this is probably fucked up but like as like a level of experiment with myself like could I be present for this person that clearly has trauma and like totally holds enough space for them and like even in that like the level of gaslighting that would turn back like even no matter what you say like they would turn it to be something that was attacking them always yeah absolutely like and that's like 
Oh my god! Oh my god! There's so much shit in there. It, it, we're oh we're talking about narcissists, and I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I feel like also part of that question is also just like, I mean, I've also definitely done that of just like, I don't know, like if this resonates with you, but just like proving to myself that I can love somebody who's broken. Yes, you know what I mean? Like, because we're strong enough. Yeah, but that, but that's like, but that's not, I mean, like, that person is probably a narcissist, like, all of their own accord, and, like, that's their whole deal, and, like, please, please, I'm very happy that you, like, step very far away from that, but it's also, like, that whole thing is, like, also me, do you know what I mean? Like, of me being, like, oh, can I prove to myself using this person, like, that I am enough, and that's actually not honest, like, that's actually, like, a really inauthentic way of being with another person, Mm -hmm. you know? Oh, for sure. But I think like no one actually thinks that way when it's happening, right? Like I think, of course. Well, I think once you have that thought, that's typically after you've broken up. But like in it, yeah, you're continually going like, no, I, I'm gonna love them better. I'm gonna love them better, yeah. and they're just gonna show up. I better. can do more. Exactly. Yeah, I can do more. And like, if I do more, then they will be better. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then God. the problem is these people have to want to move on their own and we can love them all we want. But at some point, I I think what was so hard personally in my experience with relationships is like deciding when to leave someone. I was always waiting for a time at which I stopped loving that person at Mm -hmm. which like I was just done and I couldn't stand them anymore. And like I've just never gotten to that level. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. Like we were just like, "Mm, I'll I'll, like – I will stop being in this relationship when I hate this person. Exactly. And also like hating someone like actually requires like a deep amount of like affection or like, you know, like hating someone actually requires that you like want something more from that person than they're giving you. I think when you start to see the world though, and this concept that like anybody who is lashing out at you is actually hurting themselves, you get this level of compassion that can override a ton of bad behavior. So you can just look at them and be like, oh, like they're hurting, I get it, but I love them. Oh, they're hurting, I get it, but I love them. And like, it's so hard to realize that you can keep loving someone and they can still be wearing you away like water on rock, like sandstone, just like ripping you away over years and all these like cycles of gaslighting and other things and comments that like is just you have to learn that you can still love someone and love yourself more and enough mm-hmm. to walk away. Yeah, definitely. And that sometimes it serves the both of y'all better if you can just like love that person from far. Exactly. From but afar. I, I think what people don't talk about is the fact that like you want to go back. When you say you're done with this person, it's not like, oh, I'm done because I love me more. So I feel happy now. I'm totally content. No, it's an addiction cycle. Like you want to go back to that rush of the emotions you feel in the makeup sex or whatever and all of that. So it's like people try to paint it like it's easy, but instead it's actually ridiculously hard. Yeah, extremely hard extremely hard and I also imagine like you know I mean I say this to you because I'm like because I feel like I really identify with like what what it is that you talk about experiencing this last relationship but I also wonder like are you also somebody who's like very high achieving yes yes (laughs) you know you seem like somebody who like obviously has her shit together you use she her pronouns yeah I do Mm mm-hmm Okay, so, like, obviously has her shit together and, like, obviously is, like, working and, like, busting ass and, like, hustling. And, like, I've definitely done the same where I'm, like, I want to be that and I'm also going to do that for, like, for relationships too. You know what I mean? Like, I have to – I'm going to be type A in my relationships as well. 
Yeah, that was something that like my partner and I talked about recently where um, he very, very kindly, <laughs> very or kind of sternly, but also very honestly was just like, hmm, maybe this is something that you want to look at. And I was like, mm, mm, not right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's hard, right? Especially I don't I mean, I've tried to ask myself, like, where do we get this from? Like, was I trying to fix my parents? Am I trying to repeat that pattern here? Like, have I had other lovers that maybe I failed that I'm trying to repeat this pattern now of finding worth in our sense of mm. ability to love and help other people? Totally. Not yes. acknowledging the fact that, like, when you let go of those relationships, you're able to actually love yourself and thrive so much more. Like, we should not have partners that we need to baby. Like, totally. Why are we taking on this responsibility? And yeah, we are badass people who can totally yeah. do it that's the thing we can do it yeah absolutely so here's my question for you go for it how is it that you show yourself love how do i show myself love? Or how is it that you how is it that you love yourself oh my god thank you for asking <laughs> um yeah of course uh okay how do i show myself love um i spend a lot of alone time journaling and a lot of time, it's going to sound, I guess it's, I make everyone else talk about themselves on the podcast. And then I go to talk about myself and I go like, who the fuck cares about what you're saying, bitch? Like, like, you know, like that same level that I'm sure everyone else feels. Um, yeah. I would love to hear it. Yeah. Thank Literally you. me. I asked. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the most self-care thing that I've been doing lately is probably therapy uh, because I've been learning more of the nuance of life. Yeah. And understanding more of a yes and kind of perspective or like mm -hmm. literally exactly of what I've talking about before, right? Of like I can love someone and I can leave mm -hmm. them because they are not safe for me. And I think that mm -hmm. – so like half the time I'm just like – trying to answer so many things like in my head I'm just very introspective in that way of like why did this happen why did I do this why did that and like being kind to myself and self-care literally has just been like yes this and this both things are true and I do not have to control all of it and just kind of letting go mm. in some ways <sighs> um and so like and then obviously I do more of the basic stuff like I rock climb. I try to take a bath every day because I think it's great. That's awesome. It's awesome just to reconnect with my body, especially after therapy. Sometimes I can come out very like stuck in my head and it's nice to just get in something warm and like feel it on my skin. Um, mm. Spending good time with friends, trying to feed myself in ways that my body enjoys. And like I started going to physical therapy because I've been having a lot of pain that I didn't want to acknowledge and like spending time investing in taking care of myself. That's great. You know? That's fucking great. Yeah. Taking care of the body is, like, so crucial yeah. for, like, mental health. Yeah, and I'm a yoga instructor. I was like, how could I, at, at my age, be, like, hurting in so many ways? I was like, damn, I need help. So, like, being honest when I need help from other people and, and mm. acknowledging that I don't have all the answers for self-care every day and sometimes it doesn't work. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> and so, definitely. Some days I'm still really sad and or worried or whatever, you know? Totally. That sounds really, really beautiful. That sounds like yeah. a really, really, like, holistic and full – self-love routine hmm I try I think I've just had such and I also smoke weed um so love that, that helps you, <laughs> yeah significantly um I spent a lot of time creating and trying to do the artist way I don't know if you've ever heard of it mm -hmm, book. Mm -hmm. yeah I've been doing that stuff so trying to get more into like me but it's like damn it's not it's not easy at all it's not it is fucking not oh that's I know, so but like there, I wouldn't, I would not be here right now if I was not in therapy. 
Mm, like, mm. there's just no way. Bro, therapy fucking slaps. I love therapy. My therapist is such a bitch. Like, <laughs> she's so Amazing. <laughs> she's, like, so, like, she's so, like, she's stone cold. You know what I mean? Like, she's amazing. I love her. I think that the way that she says stuff, like, there, there's sometimes where I'm, like, she's judging me. And then I'm, like, mm-hmm. that's just, like, my, that's just my brain thinking that she's judging me. And this is, like, all part of the process, which is very funny. Exactly, exactly. And that's the whole work. I think journaling after therapy has been really nice, too. Because sometimes I feel like I go to a session and then you walk out and you start doing your other task. And, like, all of that cognitive work just kind of, like, disappears to the background. That's, like, a um the, the thing that you talk about with your bath is, like, I'm actually – very inspired by that. Like, I like the idea yeah. of like, having something that, like, has you return back to your body after you do something, after you do the work in therapy. I think that's, like, really crucial and really important. Yeah, 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 definitely. It can help you allow to reconnect. And yeah. especially, like, half the time I'm like, do I want a bath? It sounds like so much work, like, blah, 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 which is, like, but, like, once you're in it, it is so worth that level of just relaxation to, like, feel Ugh, present. That sounds amazing. That sounds yeah. amazing. I, I I know I do want to ask. I mean, your your work as a dom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I want to know it. about it. I mean, yeah. how do you describe it? I feel like I describe it in so many different ways. <laughs> that is a great question. How would I describe my labor as a dom? I talk about it as like an extremely embodied practice. I talk mm-hmm. about it as like like construction of like rituals and altars. Mm-hmm. Um, I describe it as like an artistic endeavor. I describe it as like the recontextualization of violence. That's something mm. that I really, really love. Yeah. Like transfiguration of violence and beauty and all that stuff. And also, you know, sometimes I'm just like, mm, I touch and humiliate men for money. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So that's it. Um, I love it. It's like, it's such a dream job. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I don't think people know what you mean, actually. As oh, I was yeah. at my physical therapist yesterday, I was like, oh, I'm recording with a dom. She's like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, like a like dom, submissive dom. You know, she's like, nope. Mm. And I'm like, okay. So you say that. Um, and I think people still have no idea what that means. You actually do. She's like, okay. And you're like, all right. <laughs> Just end the conversation. Um, but yeah, so I basically like torture and humiliate people for money, typically men. Right. But I would love some more queer clients please hit me up it is like really deeply rooted in like eroticism um but sometimes it's not um sometimes it's just like you know kind of akin to like physical therapy in a different way where um it sometimes I feel like I'm like strengthening the relationship between like mind and body and sometimes I think that I'm like changing that relationship between like mind and body and like what is associated with what where typically my sessions look all different types of ways like I know that you recently did a thing with Lola and Lola's big thing is wrestling. She's very good at it. The things that I really enjoy, like I'm a pretty intense sadist. So I Mm -hmm. love hurting people in just like really, really like brutal ways that like leave them, leave both of us like really breathless. Speaking of breathless, I also love breath play. So Mm. um, love suffocating people, love, you know, love like guiding them through like a like a little guided breathing meditation, love putting my hand over their mouth, love putting my hand on their throat, love putting their head in a bag, love, you know, pouring water on their face, love putting their head face down in a bathtub, like drowning, that whole thing. Like, I just love like the whole gamut of breath play. I think that it is so (sighs) sublime, you know, in like the very like, 
Like the first time that I like put somebody's head in a bag. Do you know like the Nietzschean description of the sublime? No, tell me. So I learned about this when I was like an undergrad, like an art history undergrad, like a long time ago. So I might be incorrect about this, but basically like Nietzsche describes like the sublime as something that is like, so it's like horrible, you know, Mm. like it's horrible and you cannot look away. And like, is there's like a beauty in, in that. Yeah. This is sounding familiar now. Yes. Yeah. I've also been listening to the audiobook, but it's a book, um, The Art of Cruelty by Maggie Nelson, um, in which she talks about like aesthetics of cruelty and, and aesthetics of violence. And yeah, I feel like the first time that I like put somebody's head in a bag, I was just like, there's no other word to describe this for me other than like sublime. I'm like, this is unbelievable. I just felt like watching somebody's like pure struggle as they like tried to like take in a breath was like, oh, <laughs> it just made me feel things that I like never felt before. Like I felt like I was just like, I don't know if you ever get this, but like sometimes I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm like so close to like pure essence of human experience. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I feel that way sometimes when I'm, like, coming or sometimes when I'm, like, really connected to another person or sometimes, like, when I'm, like, crying, I feel that way where it's just, like, pure release. And I felt that way when I was, like, watching this person, like, struggle to breathe. I was, like, this is, this is it. This is, like, godliness. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think some (laughs) people would look at that and be a little bit concerned, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, the, right, just, like, outright I'm, I always keep in context my Mormon mother's perspective who would be like, wow, this sounds scary that this person Bless likes all this stuff. Yeah. I know. Oh, yeah. No, I know. When I told her I was recording with the Dom, she already like freaked out. She's like, <laughs> no, no. Anyhow, I think what's interesting, though, is like, yes, we all love coming to that level of fear. I mean, think about horror films, all these other things that we get off on enjoying that mm. level of experience of that. Mm. And so mm. I, I'm thinking in the situation of like what joy you're experiencing as the one giving this and also the person who is consenting to this and what they're yeah. enjoying. Yeah. And like, I think that like something that I really had to come to terms with in the past like several years that I've been doing this, I celebrated my like five year anniversary recently. Mm-hmm. Congrats. Um, Thank you. (laughs) Is like, where is it that I find freedom? You know, Mm -hmm. like, I think that like, generally, my life has like been um, centered around like pursuits of freedom. Um, Hell yes. Yeah, which, you know, I'm sure that you like probably identify with a lot as like a queer, a queer woman and like, you know, a poly woman and Yeah. yeah, and like visiting those like acts of visiting those like avenues of being radical in that way. Yeah, and I think that kink is, like, absolutely something that, like, has offered me, like, so much freedom because it, like, has completely, like, redesigned, A, what I view to be, like, pleasurable and, like, what I view to be erotic Mm -hmm. and, like, what I view connection, like, what I view as, like, a possible avenue of connection with another person. Also, like, what sex can be, that's fucking mad. And B, like, I think that kink is, like, such a amazing and, like, liberating space for people because it allows people to ask themselves, like, because I think that a lot of people are just like, oh, I, I'm free because I can do all the stuff that I want. Do you know what I mean? Like, but I don't actually think that that's freedom. You know what I mean? Like, no. Are you free? Like, are you free when you cannot do that? Like, do you feel freedom and do you feel liberation when you cannot do the stuff that you want? Or when you are not seen as like who you want to be seen as? Like when you are seen as like someone who's ugly or like bad or like, 
you know, weak, like, do you experience freedom in that? And if the answer is no, then like, maybe you should ask yourself, like, if your freedom is like a fair weather freedom. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, think about, I've heard the term consensual monogamy. Yeah. Have you addressed the fact that the societies around you have enforced the value of monogamy? Have you asked yourself, is that what I actually want? When you strip away everything and start from ground zero of asking, what are my values and does this live in accordance with me? A lot of people don't do that. And they would say, I'm super free. Like, I don't have any restrictions, but not even recognizing the level of internalized various things, homophobia, monogamy, like all of these things live inside of you that if you don't check, you would never even know that you might enjoy kink at all. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, just, like, all these, like, different questions for yourself around, like, and, like, this is not to say that, like, monogamy is is bad or, like, or that, like, you know, being straight is bad or whatever it is or, like, being heterosexual is bad. But it's just, like, to ask for yourself, like, oh, is this something that I'm actually consciously choosing? Mm -hmm. There's this, like, one quote that, like, a friend of mine, she said it and I, it, like, punched me in the throat. Um, (laughs) I love that. That was just, like, like, freedom is the freedom to be wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's something that like is really is amazing, is like really crucial and really incredible. And I think that kink is just like the avenue through which I want to like engage with that and explore that. Hell yes. And you can only be wrong if you try, right? Yeah. Like so many people need to get out into the kink space and try stuff. Totally. See if you like it and you might not like any of it, but then yeah. you know and you have the freedom to try. Absolutely. You know, like, yeah, you can like figure it out for yourself. <laughs> like, yeah, I think that that's really, really lovely. I think people just get a very closed minded concept of what kink can be. Totally. I think that a lot of people are just like, mm, it's like whips and chains and choking and yes. daddy and like, I love rough sex. And I'm like, Girl, I love rough sex too. And also, like, oh my God, it's so much more. It's so much more than that. Like, hmm. I've been having like a lot of queer experiences recently. And Lovely. recently, like, went back to my first like public play party. It was like a closed invite, but it was like the first play party that like I had been to for like over a, over like since the pandemic started, basically, where I did not know everyone. And I just had the most intense time just, like, having these, like, erotic, like, breathtaking experiences with people. And I did not, like, I didn't even take off my underwear. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, just, like, crazy, like, very connective, like. You got to tell me more details. Oh, my God. Um, I was just, like, you know, I was, like unleashed i was like a fucking monster (laughs) what does that Um, mean i had like four different scenes over the course of like it was like probably a five or six hour party and the first hour was for like mingling and like chatting with people so probably like four to five hours i had four different scenes one of them was like just like whipping a friend of mine and just like looking right into her eyes like like whipped her as the first time that she'd ever been whipped And then one of them was, like, a fisting scene, and then the other one was, like, a triple fisting scene in which, like, I asked, like, I started fisting someone and asked two of my friends to, like, join me. Mm. And, like, it was, like, this very intense, like, very intense and also, like, very, like, joyful experience of just, like, all of us having our friends and, uh, uh, like, all of us having our hands in the same body at the single time, um, at the same time, and, like, 
people watching and being like, what the fuck? Like, this is crazy that this is happening. And then the last scene was like a scene between like me and like two other Asian femmes. And we like, I I co-talked with another person and it was just a scene in which like the third person was like on the floor and she asked to like be kicked, like lying on the ground on the floor. And I just like me and this other top just like, kicked the shit out of her and like obviously was like very conscious to like not kick in spaces that were unsafe so like no ribs no bones like no face yeah kind of thing but to like but like pummeled and punched this person and like the look of like pure joy on her face was like wow such a reward you know like I think that this is something that has been especially like true and present during the pandemic is that people have just not been feeling like at home in their own body and like are not mm. in tune with like the extent of like their physical experience because so much of like our experiences recently have been mediated by screens yeah. so to like go back to this like party and like for people to like get back in tune with like the capacity of their experience and like the capacity of like how much their physical body can like withhold and withstand yeah and to like be a part of that for other people was just like crazy I was like top high you know like I just like had so much adrenaline from from these like different experiences that I was like woozy like walking around wow I love that it's really beautiful and I think there's also a space too in I'm sure that same area or another party for people who want to be worshipped totally absolutely and they're definitely like there definitely, like, were scenes of worship that were happening at that time. And, like, mm-hmm. I think that's something that's also, like, really, really beautiful. And, like, this is another thing that we were talking – I think that this is, like, also in alignment with something that we were talking about earlier regarding, like, service and, like, spectrums of receiving and giving. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, like, all these different, like, alternative modes of giving and receiving pleasure I think are really, really beautiful and can be, like – can be like all psychological and all mental or it can be like purely physical and can be like really, really soft and like soft and tender and caressing or can be like extremely and incredibly violent and can be both. You know what I mean? Like very much. Yes. And experience of like, Oh, I can like, there are certain people in my life with whom like worshiping them and like being so soft and so gentle with them would be an act of violence to them, mm-hmm. you know? And that like how they prefer to like interact with people and how they prefer to interact with people sexually is like brutal, you know what I mean? And brutality is like an act of love, you know? And I think that like same thing that we were talking about earlier about like monogamy, consensual monogamy being like ingrained in or monogamy being ingrained as like choiceless, you know? because people don't even realize that there's an option outside of that. I think that there's like a similar thing around like, oh, this act is like a blank of love. And so like people just assume like, oh, because I'm doing this, because I'm loving, because like society says that this thing is loving, it's loving, you know? Mm. When in reality, it's like there are certain things that do not, that don't always resonate as loving. Or like you can choose to love somebody in like so many different ways, you know? Which I think opens up like so many different conversations about like actually detailing like, oh, this is what makes me feel good or like this is what makes me feel really loved and really seen and like really understood. Those are the questions I'm starting to have with people I encounter because how else we're like moving through this world trying to guess how our partners want to be seen, how they want to be loved, how they want to be cared for. And it's so important to just ask. Yeah. 
And it's on my job to know what I want, right? Yeah. It's on no yeah. one else's job. I mean, I might recruit others to help me along the way find out what I want, but totally. it's my job to figure that shit out. It's like your responsibility. You know what I mean? Like your desire is your responsibility. And that doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, you have to know what you want because like how fucking no. realistic is that for somebody to like know exactly what it is that exactly. they want and for that to like not change their whole life. But I do think that it is, like, a personal responsibility and also, like, you fucking owe it to yourself to be, like, open to explain yes. what that looks like with people and, like, open to to be willing to articulate that to, like, whatever partner it is or, like, friend. Yeah. It's just as great to say, I don't know. I want to figure it out together. Yeah. Let's let's have play here and figure out what I, I – and as long as you know to communicate as you go through it, you will figure it out. And that's totally. part of the journey is like like we said earlier, it's the freedom to be wrong. So you might go totally. through a whole scene and hate it and realize, yeah, that wasn't for me. And that's how you learn and do the responsibility of learning is putting yourself out there and not being afraid to fail. So, yeah, we're not asking yes. for perfection. We're asking yeah. for a willingness to learn. Yeah, yeah. To like be in pursuit of like your true desire and not be like exactly. afraid to eat shit on the way down. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. So, I mean, literally and sometimes. I mean, not literally and also sometimes literally. Do you know what I mean? For all my shit eaters at home. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I mean, as one of my friends would say, like, we're all beginners somewhere along the spectrum of learning and coming new totally. to this and just like being kind to yourself to figure it out. I do want to ask, though, because, I mean, you got into this and, like, how did you get here? Girl. You don't just wake <laughs> up being like, yes, this is what I do. I'm going to yeah, be true. a dominatrix. I just, I get a little <laughs> curious. <laughs> oh, my God. I ask myself the same question every fucking day. I ask myself the same question, like, every day. Like, how did I get here, you know? Yeah. Um, short answer, Craigslist. Long answer. <laughs> like, Lola? Yeah. Um, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Did she also, like, find herself here through Craigslist? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, that's something that she and I have in common then. Love being like, like fuckable age during the that internet time. years, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, short answer Craigslist. Long answer, I like had a boyfriend who I watched like this documentary with and there was like a financial dominatrix in this documentary and he was just like, hey, I just want to let you know, like you could do this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm interesting interesting yeah. like, little idea that you put in my head and then I like came to New York for a summer and like I like you know was doing like my New York my like young teen New York thing and mm-hmm. I was like mm, like I want to try everything so I like joined this art collective I did some modeling and like people that I kept meeting were either talking about like pro-doms or knew a pro-dom or mm-hmm. like dated one or like like they tried it and I was just like it kind of seems like the universe is trying to point me in a specific direction so then I just went on Craigslist yeah and I joined this little like financial boutique dungeon or financial district this little boutique dungeon in the financial district um, that no longer exists yeah and the rest is history it has been a while it has been very fun for sure. Do you ha- – well, Craigslist doesn't exist anymore. So someone out there who's listening to this and wants to explore it, do you have any advice of how someone could get into being a dom or – Yeah. Um, I would do it in a very different manner. And I also think that it is very geographically specific. So in New York, the way that you would be able to do it is by – the way that most people start out in New York is that they find like a dungeon or a house – Um, that like caters to that specifically and 
I would do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like call them and like give them your stats and like say that you're really interested in doing it and say why you're interested in doing it. Um, be honest about that. If you are not in a city in which those exist, like I think that they have those in like New York, Atlanta, and LA. I don't mm-hmm. know what other places they have those. If you are not like capable of doing that, like because of like where it is that you live or I would like find your local kink community. And like, sometimes that means like doing kink events and like attending play parties, like in person. Sometimes that means like attending like events, like online or like gatherings online and like seeing what other people can do and like connecting with other people online, finding like a gathering of people that makes you feel like really seen and heard and respected And then also finding, like, partners that you feel like you can trust to, like, practice with and, like, play with and, like, really, like, Mm -hmm. get your chops up about. I also would say, like, if you have the income for it, hire a professional. Like, hire someone who's already in the business and see what a session is like. Do you know what I mean? Like, see what the process is like. Like, figure out what that looks like both from, like, what the actual in-person session is like, but also what is that like from, like, when you are trying to sign up for a session, like, what is their email correspondence? Like, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Like all that stuff. See how it is that they conduct themselves from like beginning to end. What is their internet presence like? What is their online persona like? Um, what does their website look like? How is it that they like portray themselves via email? And then also how it is, how is it that they conduct their sessions? If you don't have like a lot of income, maybe like like ask a pro like if you can like take them out for lunch you know what I mean like and just be like can I pick your brain and some people will say no and that is okay um and a lot of people will say no because it like there are a lot of people who want to do this job because it is very glamorous I think that a lot of people think that it's very glamorous but not a lot of people stick it out because it's actually like a lot of hard work and takes a lot of time to yeah you know, to get to a place in your career where you feel really comfortable. Which also just like shout out to how badass you are to be in that space yourself. Thank you. Thank you. It has taken me a really long time. Yeah. I also want to very much like acknowledge and admit that like there was a long period of my career and I still do this sometimes where I like just like swung my dick around until it like hit something. And like a lot of that took a lot of like faking it and fronting on my part. Oh, hell yeah. Like, yeah, I'm dominant. But then like, you realize that you step into that performance and that that performance starts to feel natural and you don't have to like prove anything anymore. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And that space has like really allowed me to like be really authentic with the people that I play with both like in my or like for income and then also like on a personal basis. And I'm sure that changed how you interact with other people once you realize that there's something that you wanted to be, right? A dom and learn that that's a persona I can embody and then make my own at that point any interaction you have with anybody you recognize that if you want something you can craft and become the person that you want to be totally yeah that that's all just like performances you know what I mean yes. like yeah it's all fake it's all made up so you might as well just be the one that you want you know <laughs> exactly I know I had a lot of my friends like reaching out to me like how are you hitting on women I'm so like embarrassed I'm like you just do it and yeah. fake it until you start getting used to hitting on people and it becomes totally. your norm yeah absolutely absolutely it never <laughs> felt great at the beginning you just fake it where's the bravado like you just gotta come in acting like you're hot shit and then people vibe off of that totally totally or just like yeah exactly what we were talking about earlier just like being responsible about trying to figure out what it is that you want being mm-hmm. honest with that. and i think that that's great 
Yeah, I think that another thing that that really taught me that was, like, really cool and interesting was, like, now that I'm, like, being paid to, like, be mean to people, <laughs> I don't want to do it for free anymore. You oh, know? hell yeah. Yeah, which is nice to, like, realize and acknowledge for myself. It's just, like, it actually takes, like, so much energy and, like, so much labor to be yes. mean and, like, be, to be, yeah, to be mean and, like, rude to people. So I'm just, like, not interested in, I'm just only interested in, like, being, like, really sweet and tender and compassionate Exactly. They can pay you for that. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm really good at it, is the thing. <laughs> Hell yes. I love that level of ownership. Badass yeah. as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the things I do ask everyone on the show too is what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? Mm. I actually don't know. Like I feel like there are I I feel like there's a part of me that, like, instinctively wants to, like, rebel against the framing of the question, you know? Um, yeah, there are things that I would like for more people to participate in, but I don't know if I'm, like, interested in, in necessarily, like, being like, ah, oh, yeah, this is normal. I don't know if I, like, want it. I like, I like it when things are, like, kind of weird, you know, or, like, a little bit taboo. I think that that adds, like, a nice little spicy edge to some stuff. Well, hey, your thing could be I want to normalize the fact that nothing's normal. <laughs> yeah, I think that that would be it. Like, I want to, I'm interested in like denying normality as like a baseline state. That feeling of like settledness and security and like normality and like and comfort is like that can serve you in a specific way, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's like that that's like the thing that you want. Mm. or the thing that you're striving for certainly inherently like i mean the path that you're choosing of you know your own destiny and not finding safety in the normalcy is a very isolating journey mm -hmm. it is i mean it can be it can be i'm saying it can be beautiful too because in that yeah. you're following your authentic self always and knowing that you don't need to find answers in normalcy you know what you need and you know what you want regardless yeah. of whether other people like it or not and that's inherently true to your authentic self and that is beautiful and i just want to leave space that it's also not an easy road it's not yeah and also just like i think that maybe that's the thing is that like that experience of like loneliness and like that experience of like isolation that you experience is like literally something that everybody has and like yeah. there's something that you're like tapping into that's really universal that voice in your head is like telling you that you're alone and like nobody else experiences this and like it is very very like specific to you and like sometimes yes. like sometimes that voice tells you like oh you're alone and you're like broken and you're defective but like really that's like <laughs> there's like a voice in everybody's head that is saying the exact same thing which is very funny yeah very ironic i think that that would be my answer feeling alone feeling alone is normal that's yeah. beautiful and very yeah. true feeling lonely i think specifically you can feel lonely and still have community and that's also normal too sometimes it's, it's just yeah it really can feel that way but equally knowing that i don't know i like to end on positive things like that's a hard thing yeah. just like, cool so feeling alone super normal goodbye everyone <laughs> you know bye I mean? yeah <laughs> or like feeling alone or feeling lonely or freakish or like yeah or like an outlier or all like normal things to do. And I think that there's like a certain amount of beauty in the fact that like we all experience that and like we can all see each other in our loneliness. And there's also like a certain amount of reclamation that you can have in being a freak and a yes. fucking pervert. And I think that that's like super hot and like my whole thing. Hell so. yes, exactly. That frequently when you're walking alone, sometimes that means you're on the right path. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. 
Well, it's been great to have you and just chat with you and get to learn more about your brain and your perspective. Oh my God. Thank you for like guiding me through this crazy dominated (laughs) state. No, I loved it. I loved everywhere we went from kink to poly to relationships to when to break up. I'll just have a, I'll have to pick um, what I want the title to be for this fun one. Yeah, so many, so many different (laughs) options. Um, Is there anywhere people can find your stuff? Yes, thank you so much for asking. So my website is empresswoo.net. You can find me on Twitter at thebitchempress or on Instagram at thebitchempress underscore. I organize with three different organizations, Red Canary Song, which services like migrant migrant massage laborers in Flushing, Queens, Kink Out Events, which uh, does like kink art activism for sex workers often, and then also Veil Machine, which is like an artist collective between me and two, two other doms, Mistress Cleo and Mistress Sybil. Amazing. I'll make sure I put all the links below so people can find all of it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. If you enjoyed today's conversation, then subscribe for new episodes released every Wednesday and follow us on Instagram at Modern Anarchy Podcast, where we open up a dialogue about all of these topics. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. And a special thanks to one of my favorite artists, Your Smith, for the intro and outro song to this show.